welcome back to the Pops Podcast. This week, Haji is back once again with another message in Colossians. We hope you enjoy. Coca-Cola has a brand taste. The taste is always unique and consistent wherever you are in the world. Africa, America, Europe, Middle East, anywhere. So I want to ask you a question. What is your brand? What sets you apart? What are you mainly known for? What do you do consistently when people are around you or when you are by yourself? What do you do when you are happy or sad? What are you known for? Which activities and habits define your character and identity? If we take a survey of your children, your spouse, your friends, your community, which words, phrases, syllables, cliches will they frequently use to describe you? In Paul's introduction in the book of Colossians, we begin to see a profile of his key character traits. His two most distinguishing character traits are captured in Colossians 1.3. Let's find out what they are. And when we are talking about character traits, we are talking about specific traits in your, car- in your personality and behavior that expresses who you are as a person. I want you to keep that in mind. Specific traits in your personality and behavior that expresses who you are as a person. So what are at least two key characteristics of Paul? Most people read his letters, but most people skip this. Except the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see it, you will know this is the two things that defines Paul. Not only does it define Paul, it's also they are spiritual weapons, which Paul always put to use every time. And we'll find out tonight how he does that. So let's read Colossians 1.3. Paul says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. I'm going to read it again. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Therein lies Paul's most distinguished character traits. In all of his letters, you will see this. The two character traits are his passion for prayer, and the constant offering of thanksgiving to God. Two things that defines Paul. His passion for prayer and his constant offering of giving thanksgiving to God. In fact, when you read the whole New Testament, no one else in the Bible will use the two words thanks and prayer in the same sentence structure more than the Apostle Paul. You could do your own, Google it, do your own research. Nobody else will put those two words in their statements more than the Apostle Paul. Let me give you a sample of that. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.11. 2 Corinthians 1.11. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Again, look at that. Prayer underlined, thanks underlined. Look at Ephesians 1.16. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Again, thanks and prayers. Number three, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 4.2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And the last one I have there, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. If Paul were here tonight, if he had welcomed you, you will have had two still words. You will have said something like, Brother Dave, so good to see you. We, we give thanks to God for you, for coming to Pops tonight. And I just want you to know we are praying for you. You will always mention those two words. 
prayer and thanks. What is your brand? What are you known for? Are you known for giving thanks or prayer? Or are you known for blaming, condemning? Are you the kind that always criticize? Let me tell them how I feel. Let me give them a piece of my mind. Are you always complaining? And if there's anyone in the Bible that hard to complain, <laughs> his brother Paul. Because when he was writing these epistles, he was in a prison. In fact, they don't call it a prison. They call it a dungeon. It's under the ground. It's dark, no light. There are big rats running around, scurrying around. There is sewage flowing through. Then you are handcuffed with, to another Roman soldier, and you stay there 24-7. That is where he was when he gave all these thanks and prayer to God. What are you going through right now? Are you giving thanks to God, and are you praying? Or are you bemoaning and complaining? Let's look at the structure of what he wrote. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. The, the term praying is prosekumai in Greek. Prosekumai. And it means face-to-face -face petition with God. Okay? But prayer is a... For Paul, the definition of prosekumai is face-to-face -face petition with God. Face-to-face -face petition with God. So when, when Paul is praying, he's having a face-to-face -face encounter with God. Could that be one of the things that propels him to pray more? Think about that. If you know you could get a face-to-face -face encounter with God, how will that impact how many times you pray? If you know every time you're praying, it's like Phil is sitting right there. Phil is God and I'm here and we're having a face-to-face. -face. Will that make you pray more? Will it? Absolutely. That's what's happening. Start thinking about your prayer as a face-to-face -face encounter with God. And if it is, how will you relate to him? Will you say something like, Dad, I come to you today. I thank you for who you are in my life. I love you, Lord. Look at the beautiful things you've created. Look at the trees. You're just so majestic. You are awesome, Dad. Dad, I have a problem. How will, you, how will that impact the conversation? How effective will it make your prayer? So I want you to change the paradigm of prayer from this point on. Your prayer is the face-to-face -face encounter with God. Whether you're in your car, on your knees in your bedroom, whether you're on the throne in the restroom, face-to-face -face encounter with God. You see, it's those little changes in our thought pattern, in our paradigm of thinking that shifts our prayer life. That's one of the reasons Paul prays. Look at how much he prays. Praying always, non-stop for you. Praying always. He's praying always. In fact, when you look at that time, prosekumaye, it occurred 90 times in the New Testament, that word prosekumaye, praying. And one third of the time was attributed to Paul, one man. One third, about 30 times, out of the 90 times that term is used, Paul was the one praying. Think about that. For Paul, prayer was a way of life. He had great passion for people. He continually prayed for all believers. In fact, in one of his epistles, he told us to pray for all believers, beyond immediate family, relatives, and community. He prayed face-to-face -face with God for people, including the Colossians, because Paul himself did not evangelize the Colossians, and we'll find that out as we move forward in our dissertation of Colossians. He never met the Colossians when he wrote the book of Colossians. Epaphras was the one that evangelized the Colossians. But he was praying for the Colossians. Who are you praying for that you don't know? Is it just me, myself, and I, and my four kids? Are you including some people that are far away? Maybe you're even your pastors. Maybe the lady you met at the church just last Saturday. 
Who are you lifting up on a regular basis that is outside of your immediate family? That's the power of prayer. Your prayer, your prayer could change things in your community and it could change things 10,000 miles away in Africa. It could change things in England. It could change things in Australia from here. Power of prayer. The only person that prayed more than Paul was our Lord himself. And the question I ask is this. If the two most significant people in the New Testament, our Lord Jesus Christ and brother Paul, prayed always continually, can we be excused from prayer? Could we rationalize it away? Uh, you know what? I just kind of slept in today. Really didn't have time for prayer. I was late. I got too much on my calendar. Didn't have time. If we know the power of prayer, we will devote more time to it. If we know it's a conversation, face-to-face -face encounter with the Father, we will watch less TV and do less of the other things we do and spend more time talking to Dad. Because that's exactly what we're doing. And what is Paul's attitude in prayer? Paul prayed fearlessly boldly and confidently. And guess what? That's the way God wants you to come to him. He doesn't want you to shuffle and be shy and be trying to be like your pastor, trying to speak in Elizabethan English. He wants you to talk to him like you would talk to your best friend. Don't try to be someone else when you pray. Pray like you're talking to me. Say, Father or Dad, talk to him. Like you're talking to your mom, like you're talking to your dad, like you're talking to your best friend, like you're talking to the most. Some of us might, have, might not have the best relationship with our dads, and maybe we even some people even hate their dads. So maybe comparing God to a dad might not be a best scenario for you. But think about the person that is closest to you, that understands you. Picture that person, and God is 10,000 times more closer to you than that person. Talk from that place to God. Talk about everything your fears, your concerns, and then stand upon his word. Look at Hebrews 4.16. Gives us an insight into Paul's attitude in prayer. Paul, uh, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace. You see, it's not a throne of condemnation. You see, all these little words we are talking about here, it changes your perspective on prayer. A lot of people do not pray, particularly when they've done wrong. Maybe they just have a big argument with their wife. Maybe something just happened at work. Maybe they just exploded on their neighbor. Maybe they just got, their, they just got a summon to appear in a court. It's a throne of grace you're coming to. It's not a throne of condemnation. The person you should go to first when you're in trouble is God. Whether it's you cost it yourself, others cost it, no matter how you feel. It's a throne of grace. Grace and mercy flows the moment you approach our Heavenly Father. And be open. Don't hide anything. Tell the Lord, I was guilty. I punched him first. He ticked me off and I punched him. But Lord, I'm sorry. And I will apologize to him. Be very open. If you see the great prayer warriors in the Bible, another one is David. When you look at what David did, I mean, David was a bad boy. I mean, David looked down the porch and saw a beautiful woman taking a shower. And he said, Savan, go get that woman tonight. I want to sleep with her. That's how bad he was. Slept with the lady, sent her home. and said, who is your husband? Call one of his servants. Go tell Uriah in the battle front. Kill, the, kill her husband. That's what happened. Bad boy. Nasty. But guess what? God said he was a man after my own heart. Why? Because David will always come and confess to God. He will cry. He will confess his sin. So life is not going to be perfect. There are times we're going to miss it.
But always draw nearer to God. Then go to church. Don't pull away from God. Don't pull away from church. Don't go isolate yourself because you would, if you do that, you are entertaining only one person. And his name starts with S, Satan. And that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to isolate, cut everybody out, and be by yourself. Don't do that. Come to God fearlessly, confidently, boldly, near to the throne of grace. It's a throne of grace. You will get grace, you will get mercy, and have a face-to-face encounter with our Heavenly Father who loves you. Another thing that distinguishes Paul's prayer is this, and this might be like something that may be not significant to you, but it's highly significant. He prayed to God the Father. <laughs> he prayed to God the Father. I have seen people pray, and people pray for two, I've seen people pray to the Holy Spirit. Some pray to Jesus. Some pray to the Father. But Paul, in all his prayer, he always prayed to God the Father. You could see, for example, in the Colossians 1.3, giving thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Ephesians 3.14-15, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. And that is in perfect alignment with what our Lord Jesus Christ taught himself. Jesus could have said, when you guys pray, pray to me. He didn't say that. Look at what he said in Matthew 6, 6 to 9. But when you pray, Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 6 and 9, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to our Father. His Father is also your Father. Pray to our Father. Pray like this, our Father in heaven. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We don't pray to Jesus. We don't pray to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, Pray to our Father. So when you pray, pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. It's an unscriptural, unscriptural precept. We are to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We do not need another intermediary between us and God, such as Mary or a saint or an angel. How do we know that? Let's look at 1 Timothy 2.5. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is only one God and there is only one go-between. For God and human beings, he is the man Christ Jesus. You can't miss it. Right there. It's not Mary. It's not some saint something somewhere. You pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus. Anything else? Unscriptural. Why did Paul pray so much? Because he had insight. Insight into prayer. Another insight he has is this. Prayer was the way Paul fought his battle. This is how I fight my battle. I can't sing well like Jordan. But you know that song. Prayer was Paul's preferred strategy for gaining victory. Look at Ephesians 6.12. Ephesians 6.12 says, We are not fighting against humans. Always remember that. You are not fighting your wife. You are not fighting the neighbor. You are not fighting the city council. You are not fighting the government. What are we fighting? We are fighting against forces and authorities, against rulers of darkness and powers in the spiritual world. They are just expressing themselves through a person, an agent. So the person that ticks you off or cuts you off in the traffic, you're not fighting them. The most impact you could have in that person's life is to pray, take them to the Father. Bind the spirits behind that person because that person is being controlled like a remote control. You see, the enemy remote controls you. It gets you angry and go like, mm. you go like, hey, I just ticked it. Hey. Then it goes like this. The enemy goes like this with so the remote control. Let me, I, I know how to. And you just, people respond. Never attack a person. Pray for their salvation. But bind the spirit behind them. Because they are subject to a spirit. The spirit is what's controlling them. When you go to Thanksgiving 
and an argument happens and people are yelling and screaming, you just say, excuse me one second, go to the restroom. Say, I take authority over every hindrance spirit. I bind the spirit of strife in this place right now. The spirit that is causing commotion right there in the living room, I take authority over you. Get out right now in Jesus' name and come out. You will come out and people will look at you and say, oh, why are we even fighting? Come on, give me a drink. Give me Coke. Give me pop. Come on, let's make up. There are spirits behind every strife. And you as a man of God, recognize that. Don't get in and you add petrol to the fire. We are fighting against forces and authorities, against rulers in darkness and powers in the spiritual world. And you know what? Who knows more than this than Paul himself? Paul was in constant battle and opposition. Throughout the moment he launched his ministry, he was always fighting. He fought against the Romans against the Hebraic Jews that were not yielding to, to the gospel. There were many groups against him. He was lowered down the basket at one time because there were people that were set up to kill him. Always fighting. So he knows the things, one or two things about prayer that you and I might not know. So the second characteristic or trait that defined Paul is thanksgiving. And I want us to take a closer look at that also. Thanksgiving. He said in Colossians 1.3, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Thanks in Greek is ikaristio, and it means to be grateful, to feel thankful, or to give thanks. In Hebrew, it is the word yada. Yada means to give thanks. In fact, yada means also lifting up of hands. Yada. It means to give thanks to Lord or to praise. In the New Testament, the word Thanks, or Eucharisto, was used a total of 41 times. Guess how many times that phrase was attributed to Paul? 26 times, or 63%. Let's look at some of these references to thanks in the New Testament. Look at Romans 1.8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. 1 Corinthians 1.4. I thank my God always concerning you. Ephesians 1.16, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Philippians 1.3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we give thanks to God always for you all. 1 Timothy, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Philemon 1.4, I thank my God. The guy is always thanking. He is always thankful. So what has Paul discovered about the power of thanksgiving that we do not yet know and we ought to know and learn. What has Paul discovered about thanksgiving that makes him such a thankful man? I'm going to give you five reasons why Paul is thankful. And I want us to emulate him and become thankful people. Because I've lived in America, this year will be 40 years I've lived in America. I came to America October 6, 1983. October 6 of this year will be 40 years I've been in America. And one thing I've found is this, generally, and I include myself in this, we are not the most thankful people. In fact, I think most of the time we're a bunch of spoiled brats. In fact, I once said, I really believe right after high school, they should send every kid to a foreign nation, send them to Africa, send them to Middle East, toughen them up. So when they come back, they will appreciate and know that what they have in America is unique and different from the world. I came to America when I was 17, and I became thankful really quick because I knew how life was in a third world country. I came from Nigeria. I know how it was when you're watching your favorite program and the electricity is gone. I might not come back for days. I know you're taking a shower and water goes out. 
and you will not have water for a week. I know how you go to a river and fetch water or go to another neighborhood to get water. I know how you could travel somewhere and there'll be a big hole in the road. We need to become more thankful of everything. Thank God for your hands. Thank God for your eyes. Thank God for your feet. Thank, you for, thank God for your legs. Thank God for your wife. Thank God for your children. Thank God for the roof over your head. If you have eaten once today, thank God. There are many people that will go to bed tonight and they have not eaten all day. Thank God for health care. There are people in many places around the world that don't have any doctor to see. Don't complain. Stop complaining. We complain about everything. I hate this. I hate that. Can't stand this. You can't believe what they are doing again to me. Can you imagine? Do you know who I am? Why are they always doing that? Complain, 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 complain. I'm going to give, give you five reasons why you should stop complaining. Why we should be like Paul and become more thankful. Number one, complaining, blaming, grumbling, cry, griping, the opposite of thanksgiving opens the door to the enemy. Do you know that? Complaining, griping, grumbling, the opposite of thanksgiving opens the door to Satan. Let me give you a... A scripture, 1 Corinthians 10.10. 10. 1 Corinthians 10.10. 10. Look, at, look at Paul speaking to the Corinthians in the most authoritative tone. You must stop complaining as some of them. Who are them? The Hebrew children in the wilderness that were always complaining. They were supposed to occupy, occupy the promised land in seven days. But because of their complaining and griping, they let the enemy in. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness and died there because of complaining. That is why Paul is saying in the most stern voice, authoritative tone, you must stop complaining as some of them were doing and were annihilated. Look at that word, annihilated by the destroyer. I don't want you to be annihilated by the destroyer. What are you complaining about today? Whatever you are complaining about gets worse. Whatever you are thankful ab about gets better. I just want to teach you that secret. If you are complaining, you are, dipping the, you are digging the grave deeper. The moment you become to be thankful, you are coming out of the grave. So that's number one. Paul knows the opposite of thanksgiving. Opens the door to the enemy. Number two, Paul knows thanksgiving puts you right in the center of God's will. How many people here would like to know 100% right now I'm in God's will? I do. Paul says thanksgiving puts you right in the center. Of God's will. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks. Why Paul? For this is the will of God. This is the will of God. You might have been out of the will of God. But the moment you start saying thank you father. Now I'm going to warn, warn you here. If you notice in everything. Look at that preposition in. It didn't say for everything. Alright. He didn't say, for everything, give thanks. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to say, oh, Father, I thank you that they fired me at work today. Father, I thank you that I'm sick. No, that's not what he's saying. He said, in everything, as you are going through it, be thankful. Thankful for what? Thank you for the breakthrough. Thankful for the healing. Thankful for the next job. Thank you for promotion. Thank you for the blessing. Thank you for whatever you are hoping or you are wishing will come or that you are desiring. Then he says, for this is the will of God. It's not the will of God that you got fired at work, but it's the will of God that you thank God that he's going to give you a better job through this. Very important. Number three, why Paul is so thankful. Paul knows giving thanks to God is equivalent to walking by faith. The Bible said in multiple times, at least about four or five times, 
The righteous shall live by faith. The believer shall walk by faith. You are no more in faith than when you are thankful to God. Look at Hebrew 11.1. Hebrew 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. You see, you are thankful because you know God is going to answer that prayer. In fact, as you are praying, you are receiving what you are asking and you shift into thanksgiving while the problem is still looming large in front of you. So when we are talking about thankful, we're not just talking about thankful after it happened. Everybody could thank God when they see it and say, oh Lord, thank you. You finally got me my rent. I have that money. Thankful. Anybody could do that. Even unbelievers do that. But the thankfulness we are talking about here is thankfulness at the beginning when the wall is still standing up. When the opposition is there, when the sickness is still there, that's what we are talking That is walking by faith. When you thank God in the face of the problem after you have prayed, that is what faith is. Faith is not show me and I'll believe it. If you are saying show me and I'll believe it, show me the money, you are not walking by faith. You are walking by sight. And that's what unbelievers do. What separates you is that you thank God, Father, I thank you, Lord, that this mole on my hand is healed in the name of Jesus. I command that mole to dry up right now. Father, I thank you that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is walking in me right now. Mole be gone in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you I receive my healing. See, that's faith. Look at Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Mark eleven twenty four 24 say, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, Believe that you receive them right there on the spot. When the need is still there, when the problem persists, when the wall is standing up, when the mountain is there, when people are saying give up, when people are saying, you know what, there is no recourse to your situation, it's hopeless. When everybody is moaning and groaning, you are saying, Father, I thank you because I ask you. I thank you I've received. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. That is what distinguishes you as a believer. He says, therefore, this is our Lord speaking, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Believe that you receive them and you will have them. Believe that you receive them. If you believe you have received it, what will be the outcome of that? Thanksgiving. I have it. Thank you, Lord. I have it. It is done. There are two more reasons I'm going to give you why Paul is more thankful. And these two are very, very important. The others are important as well, but these last two are very important. Number four, thanksgiving makes God bigger than your problem. Thanksgiving makes God bigger and shrinks your problem. Thanksgiving diminishes your worry, stress, and anxiety. Look at Philippians 4, 6, 7. Philippians 4, 6, 7. This is Paul speaking to the Philippians. This is why he's thankful. This is the guy in the prison. He said, do not worry about anything. Brothers, look at me. What are you worrying about right now? Anybody has anything they are worrying about here tonight? Paul says, do not worry about anything, no matter what happens. Tell God about everything, face-to-face -face encounter. Ask and pray, number one. Then look at what he said next, and give thanks to him. Why? Because you believe you have received it. Even though the problem is there, even though... Tomorrow you're still thinking, man, I don't have any job. Where's my rent going to come from? He said, give thanks. Right there and then. Give thanks. 
Then what happens? Then God's peace will watch over your hearts and your minds. It will do this because you belong to Christ Jesus. God's peace can never be completely understood. Who would like to experience God's peace? I will. He said the moment you follow that instruction. What is instruction? Number one, do not worry. Number two, ask and pray. Number three, give thanks. People are going to say you're crazy. What's up, Dave? You're crazy. Why are you thanking God? Don't you realize my kitchen is still not painted? (laughs) Is this your wife? (laughs) But you are thanking God, Father. We thank you for this nicely painted kitchen. You're crazy, Dave. What are you dancing about? Get to work. You see, the enemy will try to remind you of the reasons why you should not be thankful. The enemy will say, you know what? You know your dad died of this disease. Do you know he had cancer? He had diabetes? He had high blood pressure? You are probably going to go the same way. You won't live out all your days. So you know what? If I were you, you better call the funeral guy right now because you're going to die very soon. Start planting, planning your funeral. You're going to die. And he will speak that to you. Morning, noon, and night. But what should you say? No, devil, shut up. Father, I thank you that your healing power is working in me mightily right now. Jesus Christ took my sickness. He carried my pain on the cross. Father, when he was hanging on the cross, cancer was put on him. Diabetes was put on him. High blood pressure was put on him. Cardiovascular disease was put on him. All generational causes were put on him. Father, why? So I don't have to bear them. I'm not going to pay for it. Christ paid for it. And he said, he has come that I may have life. So Mr. Devil, you're not even Mr. Devil. You rascal. Get out of here. Sickness, get out of here. I received my healing. By stripes, I was healed. I know the doctor gave me the, they gave me the diagnosis, but I have a, a better diagnosis from Dr. Jesus. He said, by his stripes, I'm healed. Father, thank you, I'm healed. In fact, I'm going to the gym right now. I'm going to go lift some weight. Do something. Do something. Begin to move. Begin to thank God. That is walking by faith. Thanksgiving makes God bigger and it makes your problem smaller. It changes your focus from being on the problem to being on God. And whatever your focus is, gets bigger. Whatever your focus is off of, gets smaller. Turn your back to the problem. Glorify God. Make God bigger. Magnify God. How do you do that? By taking his promises, celebrating them, spotlighting them. Father, I thank you. You are the Lord, my shepherd. I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, Lord. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That is how you overcome. That is how Paul overcome. That is how you will overcome. Not bemoaning, complaining, griping, cursing, and all that. Getting hungry, shifting to thanksgiving. Go and have a face-to-face encounter with the Father. Tell him about the problem. Find some promises in his word. Begin to declare it. And you will see exactly what you're believing for and what you're thankful for. Never fall into the trap of complaining. It's a trap. It keeps you stuck. And it makes the problem remain. And the last thing Paul knew about thanksgiving that most of us ought to learn is Paul knows that thanksgiving brings the victory. It brings the victory. It brings the victory. Brothers, whatever you're going through right now, the victory is waiting for you. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.57. 1 Corinthians 15.57 says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. And I, and I put in parentheses, present continuous. He giveth us the victory today, 
tomorrow is present and future. Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. I wish someone had taught me that in college. Your victory is linked with your thanksgiving. That's an intelligence that will change your life. Your victory is linked to thanksgiving. Because look at what Paul said. Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. The moment you begin to thank God, your victory manifests quicker. The more you complain, condemn, criticize, and blame others, your victory stays far away from you. Defeat comes faster. Look at the second one. And these are the two of my most favorite scripture. When you come to my house or my fridge right now, I have this scripture right now. This page is on my fridge. I have said this all day long today as I'm walking. I have my laptop set up. I'm looking at my fridge. And I said, Father God, thanks be to God which giveth me the victory. And I get excited. I am victorious. I proclaim my victory and I congratulate myself. Ajibola, you are victorious. Why? Because God said you are victorious. See, this is living the life of faith, brothers. This is how you become a mountain climber and overcome the mountain. Teach your children this. So you don't go through the school of hard knocks that we all went through. Look at 2 Corinthians 2.14. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now thanks be unto God, which always, hey, hey I love that, which always causeth, present continuous, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Always, not 60%, not 50%, 100%. Thanksgiving to God always causes you to triumph, my brother Josh. I don't know what mountain you have in front of you. Your thanksgiving will always cause you to be triumphant. Brothers, let's major on these things in 2023. And your life will be changed forever. And it's because of these little, little things we're talking about tonight. Let's look at some of the real life story in Paul's life. How he employed these two weapons. Because you know what? A lot of people talk the talk, right? But they don't walk the walk. But that's not Paul. Paul talks the talk and he walks the walk. Let's look at his first example. Acts 16, 25 to 26. And let me give you a background for this. Acts 16, 25 to 26. Paul and Silas were in Philippi. They were ministering. A little girl, maybe eight, ten-year-old, started following them. These, are, these men are mighty men of God. Listen to them. They have come to tell you the way to be saved. And this girl followed Paul and Silas for three days. What the girl was saying is true, but there was a, a bad spirit behind the girl. She was causing distraction. And the girl turns out to be a girl that her owners used to make money. They use her to speak, the, to, to look into the future. She's kind of like a, what do you call those people? Fortune. Thank you. Fortune teller. That's what it is. So it makes money for her owners. And this little girl was following Paul and Silas. And Paul got ticked on the third day. And said, you foul spirit, lose her now, get out of her. And the, and the demon fled, fled from that little girl. And the owners... Trafficking. They were trafficking this girl. This girl was being trafficked. Was, she was being used for money. They got ticked. They were like, this little eight-year-old was her source of income. Now, Paul, you cast the demon out. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. And they got ticked, and they went to the authorities. And said, Paul and Silas, they are preaching some garbage, some nonsense around the city. I need to lock them up. So they took Paul and Silas into the dungeon that I spoke to you earlier. The dungeon under the ground. Dark, stinky, sewage-reading. Shackled to a Roman soldier, and they were in this condition. So let's pick up at Acts 16, 25 to 26. But at midnight, at the height of their crisis, when it's the darkest, when it was the most hopeless, when it's the most scarest, 
when you can't call mom or dad, when nobody is there to fight the battle with you, how did Paul and Silas respond? But at midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what Paul has always done. What did he do? Praying and giving thanks to God. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaking and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. You see that? They begin to pray and praise the Lord and the chains fell off. Not only on Paul and Silas, but everyone in the prison was impacted. Do you know when you pray and give thanks to God, it does not only affect you, your family, but in fact, it affects your whole community. That is the truth here. Your neighbor across the street might be an old lady. Nobody checks up on. She gets answered to her prayer. She gets healed. Just because of you are kneeling down in your basement, praying and giving thanks to God, worshiping, miracles are happening all over the place. And that's what happened to Paul. So at the height of your crisis, don't give up. Don't say, you know what? I give up. I don't know how this is going to turn out. Begin to rejoice. And your breakthrough and victory is around the corner. Let's look at another situation Paul was on. As I told you, prayer and thanksgiving got Paul out of many troubles. He was on the sea. Paul was being sent to Julius Caesar in Rome to be tried. And he was on the sea. And they encountered a very, very bad storm. But what did Paul do again? He did what he has always done. He prayed and offered thanks to God. If you are on Titanic, everybody know what Titanic is, right? If you're on Titanic and the boat is reeling and it's taking in water, will you pray and give thanks? Or will you be screaming and say, help, help, we're going to die? Paul prayed and give thanks. Let's look at it. Acts 27, 24 to 25, 35 to 36, and verse 44. So in his prayer time, Paul said, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not. Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God had given thee all them that sail with thee. Whereof, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is your health. For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer. And they also took some meat. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. But how did they escape from this Titanic? Number one, they feared not. Fear not. Number two, be of good cheer. Why could they be of good cheer? Because they believe God that it shall be even as God told him. What are you believing? You need to find, you might say, well, IJ, you know what? God didn't tell me anything. No, he told you a lot. It's in the Bible. There is over a thousand promises here. Find one that relates to you. That's what God has told you. Are you facing sickness tonight? Go to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 to 5. Go to 1 Peter 2, 24. Go to Matthew 8, 17. Find something God has said. You see what Paul is saying? In the middle of Titanic, he said, you know what? God has spoken to me, and it shall be even as he told me. Confidence in the word of God. Then look at number three. So number one, they fear not. Number two, they are a good chair. Why? Because the boat stopped reeling? No, because they believed the God. They shifted their focus from the reeling boat taking in water. They focused it on God. God became bigger. They became of good cheer. They started hitting. They started laughing. Number three, they gave thanks to God. Gave thanks to God. 
then they were all of good cheer. You see, twice. Your attitude matters when you go through the storm. Your attitude matters. What attitude do you have when you're going through your storm? Be of good cheer. Fear not. And it came to pass that they all escaped all safe to land. God wants you to escape whatever you're going through, brothers. I'm going to conclude one, one more example just to show you. I want you to be so convinced when you leave this place tonight that you're going to start employing these two great spiritual weapons. That anything that comes against you has no chance. Number one, what do you do? You pray. You ask God for victory. You find a couple of scriptures you're standing on. You believe them. You might need to meditate on it. Because sometimes, I'll tell you this, another thing you need to learn. You might not, it will not, giving thanks will not come to you naturally. You see? Because you are so entrenched. You've seen too many things. So many people dying. So many people lost their job. So many people that this happened to. So your brain is struggling. I could like thank God. That's why you need to find scriptures. Find scriptures like those two victory scriptures. Thanks be to God. We give it us the victory which always causes us to triumph. Find a couple of scriptures. Do your own work. Go to God. Talk to God and stand on that promise. Then begin to thank God and the breakthrough will come. Let's close with this last one. This is my most favorite, one of my most favorite scriptures in the Bible. It's about Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. Jehoshaphat was facing opposition. How many people here have faced opposition? When people are coming against you for no reason. You haven't done anything wrong. You've always loved them and blessed them. But they begin to tear you down and they bring opposition against you. That is where Hezekiah finds himself. Let's read. Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 25 to 6. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. He's praying. Okay? In verse 21, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. So he prayed, he believed, he received. Now in the battle setup, instead of putting the soldiers first, he put the choir first. Think about that. You are going to war, United States going against Russia, God forbid, and we're putting a mass choir in front, singing. That's what he did. It seems stupid, but that's what he did. He sent the choir in front. So when the enemy are looking, the enemy were expecting battle formation of the best army in the front with their guns, bows, and arrows. But they saw, a, they saw a choir. How great thou art, O Lord my God. And the enemies were scratching their head and saying, are these people stupid? What did they have for breakfast this morning? They are sending their choir. We're going to wipe them out. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sing, gives thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And look at that. At the very moment, at the very moment they began to sing and give praise. What happened? Let's read it together. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mansia to start fighting among themselves. You see, when you begin to praise, you cause confusion in the camp of your enemy. They begin to self-destruct. Their strategy becomes to boomerang. They begin to self-annihilate. That's what happens. The Lord is opening our eyes. The moment you begin to praise and worship God, 
even though that problem persists, it is begin to shrink from the root. The cancer begins to die. The diabetes begins to go. The money begins to come. The help begins to come. We're going to close with one scripture tonight, and I want you to write this scripture down because it's very important. This is God is speaking to David, and we're going to close on this scripture. Psalm 149, 6 to 9 in the New Living Translation. I want you to set your eyes on this scripture because it will set someone free. Psalm 149, verses 6 to 9, New Living Translation. And look at the strategy God gave David. Look at what it reads. Let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands. What is the, what is the sword? What is the sword of the Spirit? The word of God. So God says, let his praises, the praises of God be in their mouth and a sharp sword in their hands. So God is saying, praise me, have your word. The word is the sword. You see that? Let the praises of God be in their mouths. This is what the Holy Spirit was telling David. And a sharp sword, which is the word of God, to be in their hands. To do what? To execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. To bind their kings and shackles and their leaders with their iron chains. He's talking about the demonic kingdom. That's what your praises does in the spirit realm. It, 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 it executes vengeance on the enemy, on the nations, and punishment on their peoples. It binds kings with shackles and their leaders with iron chains. That's what your praise coming out of your mouth and the word of God in your hand. That's what it does. If this is a spiritual intelligence you won't get any other way. He said to verse 9, to execute judgment written against them. This is the glorious privilege of his faithful ones. Who are his faithful ones here tonight? You are his faithful ones. This is your privilege. So as we conclude tonight, next time you find yourself in a bad spot in life or in a storm, learn from Paul and employ the two spiritual weapons of prayer and thanksgiving. Instead of being sad, complaining, blaming and condemning others, first pray and ask the Lord for help and victory. From that point on, shift into praise and thanksgiving to God until you see the breakthrough and victory. If prayer and thanksgiving brings victory and breakthrough, lack of prayer and thanksgiving, complaining, griping, blaming, will bring defeat, loss, and setback. Thank you, Aji, for another amazing message. Whatever it is that you may be currently praying for, we at Pops just want to encourage you. Have faith, be thankful, and know that no matter what, you are redeemed in Christ. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next time.